I used to go to genericized classes. Oh, did you? Mm, yes. Did it work? Mm, yeah, yeah, I felt very toned. Did you lose your specialization? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, not that you needed to lose specialization. It was but... mostly circuit training. City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 66 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're headed for the bright lights of a world with a dying sun as we talk about the Dark Sun campaign setting. But first, the party goes firewalking in the Morning Glory campaign, and later, the Wasteland Wanderer is never out of her element in the Character Creation Forge. So, you got something kind of cool in the mail recently. Yeah, Paizo sent over the Pathfinder Pocket Edition, the core books, the player's handbook and the monster manual, essentially. What is Pocket Edition, though? It fits in your pockets, uh, assuming you wear cargo pants or maybe Jinkos. Oh, okay, cool. So 1995 <laughs> listeners will really appreciate that. Now, it, it is actually quite a bit smaller than the hardback regular size versions. They're paperback. The paper stock is a little bit thinner, but it's still really nice image quality, really nice color. It looks like a high quality product. And it's the full rulebook for Pathfinder and the Pathfinder bestiary. Exactly. They actually physically shrunk it, but didn't change anything else. Every page number is still the same all the information is still on the exact same page so if you need to reference something and you've only got the other copy of the book you can still do that the index still works so i love this idea because we've played savage worlds oh god and we have run into the problem of some of us have savage worlds and some of us have explorers edition and the page numbers do not align yeah (laughs) in any nightmare yeah no it's (laughs) terrible and so what's the what's the quality is it full quality binding because that's another problem that i have with the pocket edition is that sometimes like just using it pages start falling out i mean it's paperback you know so it's it's glued together it doesn't hold itself open it doesn't lay flat uh so yeah the binding you run the risk of breaking it because remember it's the exact same number of pages right it's 570 some pages Wow. the same as the original book but it's paperback yeah so yeah you're going to be more likely to break it eventually but they're also half the price of the hardback so i don't know you can maybe afford to replace it no that's that's awesome though if you're transporting your books regularly yeah if you need to take your book somewhere it's lighter it's smaller so it fits into you know more places and yeah. it's cheaper so you can pick it up as a supplement to the book that you're already owning perhaps exactly and you know very handy if you're the kind of person who just wants multiple copies to be able to use at the table right so yeah so that's a cool thing i i really hope that becomes a trend for the bigger rpg lines that we can get more portable versions pdfs are great but i still hate (laughs) reading pdfs so if i'm going to read a book for the first time i'm going to dig out a hard copy you know i take that back i don't even like playing off pdfs i only like (laughs) referencing them when i need to like pull actual text I like PDFs. If everyone could make a PDF the way Fantasy Flight made PDFs for the uh, now defunct Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. Yeah, those were high quality. I will agree. 
I enjoyed searching them, but that was the only thing I needed a PDF for is search. <laughs> the rest of it is for the birds. <laughs> Speaking of birds. You mean vultures? Yeah, they're a bird, right? <laughs> What's going on in the Morning Glory campaign? This is our three-year Eberron campaign that is... The recap is finally winding down. Right, we're on the short list of episodes remaining, to be honest. <laughs> the party is trying to prevent, well, the end of the multiverse. Bell Shalor, the shadow in the flame, has infiltrated the Silver Flame, a fiendish overlord, and is now trying to gather components of the current multiverse to himself so that he can remake it in his own image. And he has just succeeded in facilitating the suicide of the Lich Queen, Arandis Vol. Her soul has now been absorbed by the tainted silver flame, and the party is standing in flame keep with Jayla Darren, the keeper of the flame, who's recovering from her time in petrified stone form, standing around going, Well, that sucked. Yeah. We're like, okay, that didn't go as planned. Now what? Fortunately, Jayla is coming to her senses, regaining her strength, and says, Don't worry, I can help you firewalk. It's a thing I do when I commune with the flame. Uh huh. So I'm just going to send you into the fire. That's fine, right? I mean, as far as tests of faith go, <laughs> <laughs> Brand was once turned from a human into a half dragon. Half elf, <laughs> or at least a, a dragon blooded half elf, right? As a dragon sorcerer, faith was tested. Okay, now you're sending me into a deity. This I mean, is a bit strange. Your 11 year old little girl pope is saying, No, no, you should have faith. When the lollipop says to go, <laughs> you go. And so they did. And Jayla Darren cast what seemed like a version of the dream spell uh, enabled the entire party to walk directly into the bowels of the silver flame. And when we get to the other side... It's not what you expected. No, it's very bright. Yeah, bright and hot. Hot. It's sandy. Sand. Yeah, it gets everywhere. It's terrible. We're <laughs> poorly equipped for this climate. <laughs> High, hot winds, sand is blowing in their eyes, and they realize when they look around that they're in the middle of a pretty large city. I suppose if you could call it a city, right? The A settlement, if you will. Well, it's large, but the buildings themselves are basically made out of, like, baked clay, and the, there doesn't seem to be any, any sort of, like architecture around it's mostly hovels yeah it's weird there's not like a lot of metal in here it's yeah lots of bone and chitin and you know animal parts very strange and all of the people around basically seem to be beggars or indigents they're not in good condition in any way the party does however meet a woman who is of stern but noble countenance who is dirty like the others but her eyes are still bright and they do notice that she does have attached to her hip a metal sword with a pommel made of a kyber shard and she introduces herself as Tyrmiron the paladin who initially began the church of the silver flame when she used her kyber pommeled sword to retrap 
the fiendish overlord Belshalor. In the flame. Yes. Along along with a quaddle. <laughs> though, though it sure looks like that quaddle's been dead for a while. <laughs> she confirms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and says, this, this is where the believers of the flame come. And Belshalor's Templars hunt us to take our souls and use that power to fuel his rituals. All right. This is all going to sound very familiar in just a few minutes. <laughs> but for now, the party is in this strange land, uh, meeting a near mythical figure. Uh, Brand has, you know, basically met the Pope and... Uh, now St. Peter. Yeah, St. Yeah. Peter <laughs> in, in quick succession. What do we do next? You run because the Templars are coming. Well, that's a fun feeling. And we'll find out what happens next week. Right. So as I've alluded to, we were basically in Dark Sun, uh, in, in a version of, you know, a, a pocket dimension sort of place that was ruled by Belshalor as a sorcerer king, very much like Dark Sun, the campaign setting. So let's talk about that campaign setting because that's our main topic for the day. Yeah, this is uh, the continuation of our series where we basically give you a brief on a campaign setting so that you'll have all the information your group needs to decide if you actually maybe want to play a campaign in that particular setting. Give me the elevator pitch for Dark Sun. It's a sandals and sorcery setting. That's slightly different from sword and sorcery because it's mainly set in a desert. Right. The things that distinguish it from quote-unquote normal D&D settings are that the gods are dead, the sun is red and bloated and dying in the sky. And burning the world. Yes. <laughs> and the entire world is ruled by the sorcerer kings. Oh, yeah. There's no magic, and there's lots of psionics. If you've watched Stargate before, they're basically the, the Goa'uld. You're looking at me like you've never seen that. Uh, that's going to file that one under no nerd shit. <laughs> uh, think about all powerful pharaohs, yeah. each one with their own city-state. And, uh, and and what's cool about Dark Sun, you know, as part of that elevator pitch, right, is the way that it, it plays with fantasy tropes, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it just inverts them or subverts them. Yeah, we'll get to all the specifics, but basically every time you come across something that you've seen before in the Forgotten Realms... But you're in Dark Sun, it's very different. Right. So what's the history of Dark Sun? When did it start? What's going on? What's its current status? Well, it was first released in second edition. Yeah, it was I think it was adapted from like a miniatures game that never got launched. Yeah, I think you're right about that. For those of you who have heard of Dark Sun before or who used to play it, the second edition version is sort of the most iconic one. It's the one that people remember. Um because it didn't exist in third edition. It just went away. Like Planescape, it was never updated. Right. It did, however, come back in fourth edition in the same way that a lot of things came back in fourth edition, sort of streamlined and updated for some of the new races. The campaign setting information is still really relevant and useful, uh, but the original kind of crazy wilderness punk feeling is much more prevalent in the second edition books 
Yeah, I mean, fourth edition was just a very different feel of the game, too, mm-hmm. right? Characters in fourth edition were much more heroic and kind of like fantasy superheroes, more so than the literal sand farmer that a second edition Dark Sun character would be. Yeah, Conan meets Mad Max. Right. Yeah, except that, you know, <laughs> Mad Max is going to die. <laughs> there is a fan made supplement for third edition D&D that Wizards of the Coast just kind of ceded to this third party, and that's all available on athos.org. Yeah, it, I think it came out around the time of 5th edition, actually, so it was very timely with that, but it does a good job of consolidating a lot of the lore into one place. Because what happened in 2nd edition is it, the campaign setting was released along with novels and adventures and that sort of supporting material, and they really advanced the plot really quickly. Mm. And then it was like, oh, crap, we've killed like six of the nine big bads in the setting. Right, we solved too many problems. Right, it's like, <laughs> no, it's no longer dark and terrible. Now it's just the shady sun. <laughs> and so they they actually revised it and kind of rolled back canon and had to sort of fix that in second edition. And then in fourth edition, they just pulled an Eberron basically and mm-hmm. said, pick a point in time. All campaigns in Dark Sun start here. Certain events have happened and then all campaigns start here. We never advance continuity past that. Right, not officially. You know, right. whatever happens in your campaign, great. Yeah. But just like Eberron, which is one of the things that we love about Eberron. Right. Is that everyone starts in the same place and then you can build your own from there. So one of the things I really like about this setting is that there are reasons that the world is the way that it is. So what the hell happened? So, Did Donald Trump become president? Yeah, I think I think we might be witnessing the first stages of Dark Suns of like Athos history with our presidential election this week. So the far back history of Athos, the the world of Dark Sun, is it was basically a standard fair fantasy setting. You know, it was a decent place with fantasy races and magic and all the things that go along with the Forgotten Realms or anything like that. Yeah, pretty fertile Greenland, blue water. Right. Uh, and then arcanists, like magic users, found a way to defile, to, to drain the world of its life force uh, to power their spells. Right. They were able to make their spells much more powerful by depleting the world of its resources or the life force of like living creatures. Coal. They used coal. Uh, basically coal power. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, there wasn't much regulation on this, <laughs> as you might imagine. So basically what happened is the most powerful magic users right, just drained the, drained the world dry of, of energy. Mm-hmm. And it left it kind of a dried up husk, a, a desert that's being beat upon by this bloated, dying sun in the sky uh, with very little arable livable land remaining right very little food very little water very few resources yeah like the oceans are dry the oceans are now made of silt (laughs) the uh the only water comes from underground springs and even that is a very precious commodity so the entire planet is a burning wasteland baking under this hot sun and harsh conditions breed harsh societies Yeah. yeah yeah slavery is very common on athos yeah, gladiatorial matches are basically the sport of preference. Yeah, everyone you meet is cruel or dead. Or crazy. Or all, all of the above. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does 
it's a fantasy race, so you can be dead and still crazy. <laughs> right. It's one of those things where to to have the power necessary to be a ruler, right? To be one of the sorcerer kings, you have to be so evil. Mm-hmm. You have to do so many terrible things to get that power that no good can live in that world. Yeah. We said the entire world is basically a desert, but no one really knows because probably nothing else is even alive on the vast majority of the planet. There's just this one section, the tier region, where all of the action sort of takes place that is still this horrible wasteland, but there are people who are alive. And so it's dominated by like a dozen city-states, and each of them is ruled by a sorcerer king or sorcerer queen who has amassed just incredible power. Uh, And they're basically the only arcane magic users left on the planet certainly that are out in the open well yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah they are powerful defilers they came to power by stripping the planet of its resources to fuel their own magical abilities and then they maintain pretty strict law and order a pretty brutal law and order with templars they're uh, dark paladins basically Mm -hmm. that either depending on which edition of the game, either siphon power from the sorcerer kings or queens to serve them or are granted the ability to use magic and to defile in service of a sorcerer king or queen. They're basically the only magic users who aren't immediately killed Mm -hmm. because they're the guys who kill the magic users. Right. Of course, if a magic user is found and a Templar isn't around, there's a good chance the populace will kill them. Right, because no one understands magic, and magic is terrifying. Yeah, magic is what destroyed the planet. Right. And no one's educated their schools. Uh, I think <laughs> most characters aren't even literate. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So everyone thinks that any form of magic is inherently dangerous. Now, remember, there aren't any gods, so there isn't divine magic per se. And it's not like... We're not sure if there's a god. There's no there's no concept of faith. It's like everyone knows the gods were killed. <laughs> like the gods died a long time ago. They left nothing. Yeah. I think it's actually some people who are learned know, oh, there probably were gods and like they got murdered way early on before there were ever like humanoids right. at all. <laughs> and then everyone else is like, What the hell is a god? Right. <laughs> However, player characters in Dungeons and Dragons are special, right? So you are the exception to the rule. So you can play an arcane caster in Dark Sin if you want, but it comes with a few strings. Oh, yeah. Because if anyone sees you casting magic, you're probably going to get immediately mobbed and lynched. Right. Anybody who isn't absolutely terrified of you is going to call somebody that you're going to be terrified of, namely Templars. And that includes probably your other party members. Right. Because they certainly don't want you sucking their life force out of them. Exactly. <laughs> That's sort of a setting thing, right? And there is a bit of a meta plot built into there. There's sort of history that's built between the wars and genocide that have been committed between city-states. So certain city-states have fallen and are just now lay in ruin. Other city-states have sort of evolved and become less totalitarian. Um, in fourth edition, the city-state of Tyr, the, the largest, is in a state of upheaval at the point where the setting begins because the sorcerer king, Kalik, no relation, 
was killed by his head Templar while trying to perform some crazy ritual. And so now the Templars are actually trying to install like a relatively modern liberal rule. They're trying to end the feudal slave-driven society and establish like a Senate. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I wonder how the other sorcerer kings are gonna gonna respond. Oh, to I'm that. sure they're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably fine that like there's you know vox populi over in that neighboring. <laughs> You know, it'll be, it, look, it's about time we gave up power, said no one ever. <laughs> so against this backdrop, there are a few overarching themes that Dark Sun and Dark Sun games really touch upon. The first one is Paradise Lost. There was this rich history, this time when the world was fertile, and there are, are many hints of that sprinkled through the uh, narrative and through the history of the setting and through adventures set in Athos. Yeah, and now it's D&D's grimdark setting. Yeah. Like it's not just turned to 11 the way that like Warhammer 40K is grim grimdark, mm-hmm. but it's just it's gray on gray morality and it's just very little hope. Yeah, it's turned to like eight and a half. Yeah. Not quite to the point of parody. Right, right, yeah. The way that 40K is. Uh-huh. It it still takes itself seriously. No, things are terrible here. Right. But it, it is a world of suffering. And, you know, that's reflected in the vast amounts of slavery that mm-hmm. take place across um, and just the general level and acceptance of genocide. Because <laughs> that tends to be mostly what the sorcerer kings and queens are up to when they're not, you know, brutally oppressing their own people is they're trying to find large groups of people for them to kill. Yeah, literally genocide. Like, let's destroy every member of this particular species. Yeah, like, goodbye gnomes. Don't need those. Yeah. Dark Sun doesn't have gnomes. No Why? Gnomes. All killed off. Right. Same nope. with orcs. And, and kobolds. Uh, well, okay, again, addition by subtraction, if you ask me. <laughs> they still have halflings, but none of them are kender. <laughs> no kender, that's right. Well, well, we'll get to the races in a bit. Another big theme is the desert. Right, mm-hmm. it's the the struggle for survival against the environment. Yeah, if you like zombie movies and like apocalypse games, Dark Sun's for you, because track everything. Right, every arrow. <laughs> yeah, wood is a very valuable resource. Metal basically doesn't exist. Yeah, metal basically counts as magic. Right. Your weapons and your armor break. Like, they're made of sharpened bone and bits of shell. Yeah, well, yeah, because your weapon is probably like a bone that you took from somebody right, that the... you killed with your bare hands. <laughs> if you're lucky, you have an obsidian dagger. Yeah. It doesn't have a hilt. Right. <laughs> it's just got like some leather strap that you like wrapped around the least sharp part. <laughs> right. That you cut from the corpse of a sentient humanoid. Right, yeah. right. But things break all the time. That's mm-hmm. actually like one of the, the key problems is that equipment fails a lot. And then, I mean, it's deadly. The The monsters that are roaming around will just kill you. <laughs> there's, there's no level one in Dark Sun. You're dead if you're level one. I think in second edition, they actually required you to start at level three. Yeah, it was so brutal that characters needed to be more powerful in order to just survive. Like we said before, the gods are dead. There's no divine magic, right? Uh, paladins, the only people who are kind of like paladins are the Templars, and they channel their uh, abilities through the Sorcerer Kings. Clerics 
don't worship any deities. They actually pick one of the four elements, which of course are fire, air, earth, and silt. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's no water. (laughs) And they channel power through that. So you don't have a cleric of war or tempest or trickery. You have a cleric of fire or a cleric of earth. Right. And then magic itself is evil and feared. Yeah, magic has a corrupting influence, not just on the world, but on the mind and on the body. The sorcerer kings themselves, because they use magic, are slowly turning into dragons. As you gain power, that that's sort of your advancement, right? You sort of metamorphosis into a dragon. Yeah, you can't stop it. You just it happens. That's right. what magic does. It's the product of being a defiler. Yeah. In fact, there aren't any dragons except for the dragon. For the one. Yep. Yeah. There's one extraordinarily powerful defiler who was a sorcerer king, uh, but he defiled so much and got so powerful, he turned into the only dragon on the planet. Oh, and he went insane as well. That seems like a small price to pay. Yeah. Occasionally he flies around. Hide. (laughs) But instead of magic, Dark Sun has psionics. Yeah, and they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. Psionics are are like a very casual part of Dark Sun, which is almost kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of like the Force in Star Wars where like even animals can use the Force. Like animals are psionic. Yeah. In second edition every PC was guaranteed to start with at least one psionic ability. It's it's just that common. Yeah. And strangely, people are able to distinguish, like people know, oh yeah, that's psionics, that's super normal. Yeah, and that's Oh magic. God, that yeah. is horrible, awful magic. Right, let's turn all of our psionic abilities against the magic user. Right. <laughs> so we mentioned that Dark Sun likes to invert traditional fantasy tropes. And one of the ways that it really does this is with the roster of available races. Yeah, so let's just kind of go down the list, and you tell me if they're there. Okay. Halflings. Only cannibals who live in the forests. Humans. (laughs) 1D4chan does sum it up best. Sentient halflings, only larger. Yeah, just like in real life, the race responsible for f***ing up the planet. (laughs) What about elves? They're desert nomad traders. They don't get their little covens in the woods they are forced to wander yep everybody believes they're dirty dirty liars they well they They are are. yeah Yeah. how about dwarves they're much less jovial they're taller than they are naturally Uh, and they're all ocd orcs nope all dead mulls mulls half dwarves half dwarves half humans huh Mm mm-hmm Wow, that sounds really intriguing. Do they have really interesting lives? No, they're all slaves. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, unfortunately for them, probably also sterile. (laughs) Yep, there's a reason they're called mulls. Yeah, so they're they're bred for basically their ability to do physical labor. And they're, you know, we don't have to get into how, but it's a neat race from a mechanical and from a flavor perspective and it's definitely unique to dark sun i don't Mm -hmm. think half dwarf has existed in any other setting that i know of certainly not as like a standard race right mull is actually really common in dark sun right goliaths they're the half giants i definitely don't want to know how they got those (laughs) yeah yeah well in second edition they had random alignment goliaths daily 
they just change yeah because they're they're creatures of chaos oh okay so that's so right they're insane right Mm -hmm. so yeah that got retconned in fourth edition not sad to see that happen yeah (laughs) what about the thrycreen so those are extra armed bug people so praying mantis people yeah if you played with any power gamers in third edition, you know about the Thrycreen. <laughs> they had four arms, which meant they got four attacks, which meant whatever you did was broken. Yep. Also psionic. Big psionic bugs with four arms. Yeah, they've got like a hive mind thing too. They click a lot. Yeah, their language is unpronounceable to normal people. And I said normal people, and I meant it. Yeah, you're talking about halflings, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about more recent additions? to the racial roster of Dungeons and Dragons, like Dragonborn. They don't exist as Dragonborn, but the Drey are sort of a dragon-like, lizard-like species that maps to Dragonborn. Mm -hmm. Kind of a precursor. Yeah. If you've been playing Elemental Evil, you'll be happy to know that Aarakocra are also available in Dark Sun, like vulture men. Yeah, they in Dark Sun they definitely look exactly like vulture people. Yeah, yeah, they're not pretty at all. There's there's a lot of that actually in Dark Sun. The, yeah. the rest of this is basically half human, half some animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the Terrans, pterodactyl people, mm-hmm. and the Surins, Komodo dragon people. <laughs> Which is weird because all of the lizard folk were exterminated in a genocidal war. Well, that's because they were warm blooded. Ah, okay. Yeah. But these are all the cold-blooded variety, which are much better off in a desert climb. Smart, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, solve that little biological snafu. So um, bugs, lizards, buzzards, and people. Yeah. yeah. How about tieflings? Are there, I don't think there are fiends in Dark Sun, are there? Right, because that's a point we didn't really touch upon. There isn't really planar travel. Right. There are only two other planes that are actually accessible, and there's not really anything there. There's the gray, which is, guess what? All gray. It's Ravenloft. <laughs> but no buildings. Right. Or people. <laughs> and there's the black, which is really dark. Also nothing there. Just necrotic energy. Yeah, so it goes from bad in Athos to worse (laughs) the thing is there's no place else to go so you might as well stay here stuck here so we touched on classes a little bit earlier but let's kind of go through the list there so like we said before no paladins the closest you get are the templars who are nearly to a person horribly evil yeah well you kind of gotta be to work for a sorcerer king you're gonna (laughs) do some terrible stuff and if you aren't evil when you start you're definitely evil by the time you're like yeah. You know, get your armor. And by the time you use all that magic. Right. Yeah. Uh, we talked about clerics drawing elemental power instead of divine power. Mm-hmm. Arcane spellcasters are, people fear that they are defilers, although you don't necessarily have to defile, but your average layperson doesn't know that. Now, we haven't talked about this yet, but there's also a group of arcane spellcasters called preservers, mm-hmm. and they're basically trying to reverse the defiling process. Right, they are careful spellcasters who only take energy from the environment that they need uh, that doesn't cause any permanent harm. And they are beginning to learn ways to actually restore some of the original vitality to the land. There's like a whole faction Mm -hmm. devoted to that. Secret faction. Right, well, obviously, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So they're like the one glimmer of hope for Athos, but because this is Dark Sun, people don't understand it and want to kill them anyway. Yeah. Because what's the difference between a preserver and a defiler? 
the decision they make every time they cast a spell. Right. And then the psionic classes are also prevalent, though those don't really map well in 5e anymore. But yeah. the we'll, mystic, the psychic warrior, all of those types of things. Yeah, we'll see what happens when we get like an actually fully fleshed out mystic. Yeah, not just a half-baked unearthed arcana. Yeah. A lot of the positions normally taken by a traditional D&D class in Dark Sun are taken care of by the psionic versions of those classes. Yeah. So the rogue is a soul knife. Or just a rogue. <laughs> they actually don't change a whole lot. Or a bard, because they're actually pretty similar too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of poison. Right. <laughs> so Dark Sun introduced a handful of special rules that were carried forth, but what are some of the iconic ones? Well, there's the psionics, as we've mentioned before. Right. Psionics were created for Dark Sun, mm-hmm. and they existed in third edition in the what, the expanded psionics handbook or something. Yeah, exactly. But they basically took the Dark Sun psionics and then genericized them. And that became all we had for Dark Sun in third edition. We also mentioned the equipment breakage. The constant struggle to maintain your gear is something that affects Dark Sun characters of basically every level. Because there's not really magic. Like we mentioned, right? Metal is like as close to magic weapons as you get. Mm-hmm. Magic items just if they exist, they're artifacts or they're remnants of like pre-defiling Athos. Right. And and that's kind of one of the cool plot points of Dark Sun. If you want that sort of swashbuckling dungeon delving adventure, right, is you go after these incredibly powerful remnants of prior civilizations. And then once you have them, everyone comes after you. Right. <laughs> you are probably not strong enough to hold on to that. <laughs> Uh, another rule that was introduced in second edition that doesn't exist anymore, but the character tree, the idea that you brought backup characters to the table when you sat down for a Dark Sun game. Because there aren't any spells that bring people back from the dead in Dark Sun, at least in traditional Dark Sun. Yeah, there's no revivify, there's no raise dead, there's no resurrection. You're yeah. just dead dead. Like we said, the grim darkiest of the D&D settings. And when you're setting is so deadly you have to start at third level you might as well bring backups third level characters take a while to roll (laughs) and then there is the particular mechanics of defiling versus preserving a lot of the times especially in sort of later versions of dark sun that is kind of left up to the gm to interpret exactly how that plays out in game but in second edition defiler and preserver were actual character classes uh yeah and i think they were advanced classes or i i'm sorry i can't remember the terminology in fourth edition but like paragon paths or something oh, in fourth edition, yeah paragon paths. yeah so what are some of the plot hooks for dark sun what are, what are the types of campaigns that you could run in a dark sun game if you were gonna play well you could have a company of mercenaries oh tell me more <laughs> well maybe they're not really good guys or bad guys they're really just trying to do what they need to do to survive day to day uh-huh in the service of perhaps a sorcerer king hey you know whoever pays right <laughs> yeah i mean that's a that sort of gray morality is definitely core to dark sun uh, i think a lot of campaigns find interest in resisting the sorcerer kings being good guys in a terrible world either working as preservers or you know, kind of working within a city state to kind of overthrow or undermine 
the sorcerer king of that city. Yeah, it's kind of expected that most Dark Sun games will begin in the city of Tyr, either as the Sorcerer King Kallik is on the verge of being overthrown or right after that's actually happened. Uh, but of course, you could start in another city-state and then slowly build up the opposition, get in touch with you know preservers who may be within the city, um, secret arcanists uh, who are part of the Veiled Alliance uh, who are trying to lead a rebellion. Darkson is really great for those sort of V for Vendetta type games if you want to do it in like a toga. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, even just like the Star Wars type game, right? Mm-hmm. The the Rebel Alliance against the all-pervasive empire, right? It's, There's just like nine empires. Well, yeah. But the thing is, the Sorcerer Kings would rather unite to put down a usurper than they would fight amongst themselves. Right. They'll fight amongst themselves once they put down the rebellion. <laughs> They've got plenty of time for that. Yeah. They're practically immortal. Right. <laughs> also, they need a bunch of slaves because the dragon is requiring sacrifices. Right. <laughs> and nobody wants him to show up and level their city. Right. I mentioned it a bit earlier, but there's there's always the quest for lost knowledge, mm-hmm. right? The idea that, that Dark Sun is much older than its current predicament. So what secrets could be unlocked by discovering things from the past? And I think there's also room for that high sands adventure, if you will. <laughs> sort of a desert pirate. On the silt sea. Right, in, yeah. <laughs> in your sand skimmer. Right, uh, trying to avoid getting eaten by sand sharks and sandworms. I bet there's a sarlacc out there somewhere. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. There's also room for very epic fantasy, you know, a long campaign where the characters slowly grow in power and eventually figure out a way that they can help begin to reverse some of the damage that the environment has suffered. That's probably not going to happen on a global scale in a campaign that can be affected by player characters. In Dark Sun doesn't really necessarily fit with the vibe of the setting, but it's definitely possible that they could carve out a a place that is better, that is nicer, or at least is not as awful as everywhere else. Yeah, I could totally see a Dark Sun campaign going down the like Conan the Barbarian sort of. You come from very humble beginnings. You're kind of the last of your tribe or whatever it is, and as you gain abilities and and your competence, right? You could actually overthrow a sorcerer king or, mm-hmm. or sort of orchestrate that, right? Rise to power within a city-state and then have to deal with that consequence. Now you're the leader of a city-state that is at war with eight other city-states, all yeah. of whom are led by very powerful sorcerers, uh, and you're not a very powerful sorcerer. Right? You're like a level... <laughs> 12 <laughs> barbarian <laughs> even if you are a level 12 sorcerer they strip the earth of its life force to become stronger what do you do right exactly so how do you you know that, that could be a cool turning point in the middle of any type of campaign right is like now you have to solve problems on a macro scale mm-hmm. right but you're you're not strong enough to handle it yourself you've got to kind of figure that out I also love the idea that Boris, the dragon, doesn't care who's in charge. He's insane. Right. But he comes to the same place right. every month to get his thousand slaves as tribute, right. or he is going to fuck some shit up. 
So what do you do? And that's how Tyr got the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> do you let half your city die or just a thousand people? Right. <laughs> Let's say that you're listening to this. You've never played Dark Sun before, but you have played 5th edition and you're interested in maybe trying out one of those plot hooks. How do you adapt Dark Sun for 5th edition? And we have a little bit of practice with this because we've started running a Dark Sun campaign ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, you open up your player's handbook, uh, you leaf to the page on gnomes, you rip it out and you set it on fire. Which we all should have done a long time ago. Yeah. I don't hate gnomes that much. (laughs) I don't feel that strongly about gnomes. Gnomes are just fine by me. Speaking of races, most of the races you need for a Dark Sun campaign actually already exist in 5th edition. Mm-hmm. I think the one big exception is the Maul. Those are super iconic and very common as a player race. But because Half-Orc exists, I think it's pretty easy to adapt that for the Maul. Right, and because there are no Half-Orcs in Dark Sun, we're right. not going to have someone else using that template already. Exactly. Yeah, the only thing I would change there is something around their carrying capacity. <laughs> That's... Like the same way the Goliath gets the mm-hmm. increased carrying capacity, I would give that ability to the half orc too. It is hard to map the Thrykreen, but it really is in every edition. Yeah, extra arms are hard to model in D anD. d Yeah, the closest might be, I don't know. I think Thrykreen were Dex Wisdom in previous editions. Definitely Dex, because like they're big bugs. Yeah. Well, it it kind of be like the Aarakocra, I guess, where you mm. would just lock them into a claw attack with extra arms right or maybe remove the flying and then you know give some sort of like extra arm ability yeah i don't know (laughs) whatever (laughs) multi-attack it's not that important (laughs) if thrycreen weren't so game-breaking they wouldn't have been popular yeah no one wants to be a praying mantis fair Uh, and i mean i'm gonna say that too for the terrans and the surins the pterodactyl people and the komodo dragon people you can probably live without those dragonborn with no breath weapon or maybe yeah, i don't know maybe you spit poison whatever yeah spit, like you're a komodo dragon yeah spit yeah. spit poison you're a komodo dragon Done. and tarant basically Aarakocra. Yeah. yeah uh how about defiling well you can look at the fourth edition dark sun campaign setting which turns defiling into an at will power that you could use anytime you cast an arcane spell which basically caused a bunch of necrotic damage within a certain radius of yourself if you chose to do that yeah i think we're doing it as a bonus action in our campaign but i I think only one of us is even capable of defiling because we all played it straight and narrow in our mercenary company (laughs) yeah no one actually can cast arcane spells except for yeah very few number of people uh then equipment breakage so you got to have some way to model that right yeah usually we're really against crit fails but it models the breakage of equipment pretty well here yeah so we basically set it with two different levels of of damage there's damaged and then there's broken armor is damaged when the wearer is critted so if a creature attacks you and crits you he damages your armor and weapons are damaged when the user rolls a natural one so five percent of the time it gets broken and I think one of my main complaints about critical failure is that characters who make more attacks and therefore are supposed to be more skilled have a higher chance of screwing that up. But in this particular instance... It actually makes sense. Yeah. The more you swing that sword, the more likely it is that it's going to break. Right. Because that sword is made from a femur. Right. And it's not your fault for screwing it up. Like, your gear just sucks. Right. (laughs) 
So I think for armor, we have just like a minus one penalty to AC when it's damaged, and then each time, yeah, yeah, each, each time, each time, and then once it's once it's reduced to ten, it breaks exactly, so, and it, and it's just useless once it's broken. Well, right, because it just gives you no benefit at all to your right. AC. Well, it still weighs something. Well, true. <laughs> And uh, weapons attack with disadvantage when they're damaged. So it's actually pretty bad to have a weapon damaged. Yeah, especially for rogues. Yeah. So carry lots of backup bone daggers. Yeah, exactly. Travel light and cheap. (laughs) Uh, We've also ramped up the effects of the desert to make it more deadly. Though, given how much that wiped us out in the first session, I I wonder if we're going to scale that back. But I kind of hope we don't. <laughs> well, we'll just keep taking lots of long rests. Right, yeah. We're going to sleep here for another week. Yeah, and get attacked again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. But hey, we're, you know, we're basically grinding. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's tougher to model psionics because there are just less things that you can slap onto a character to to model that. And, you know, I guess the other option would be like, oh, play everybody play a sorcerer. Yeah, if you did like an evocation wizard or evocation sorcerer i could kind of see that working maybe yeah but in dark sun it's really supposed to be that like everyday common people have psionic abilities yeah you know like i'm a baker and i have psionic abilities right i just telekinesis that flower into that bowl right or i guess i don't know ground up bugs or something oh right it wouldn't be flower yeah that's silly that's water intensive (laughs) (laughs) ice patties yeah (laughs) so we made it so that if you take the magic initiate feat it can be reflavored as psionic so you'll get two at wills and then a once per day first level spell from basically whatever spell casting class you want yeah and that's all subject to our dm's approval to make sure that it can be justified as a psionic spell and not just blatant power gaming <laughs> but as long as psionics aren't a major theme of your campaign i think you can skirt around that just by reflavoring what monsters are doing to the players as psionics and just kind of acknowledging that players don't all have strong psionic abilities right or just giving them the magic initiate feat for free at the start yeah and it has to be used for something that you know yeah is is psionics or you know maybe the high elves cantrip ability right it's a psionic ability yeah, yeah exactly right so the question we typically ask at the end of these campaign setting episodes uh, shane would you play a dark sun game i would absolutely play a dark sun game in fact i have agreed to <laughs> i'm super hype about it i think we talked about it a couple weeks ago we did how about you ishan would oh. you play a dark sun game oh yes absolutely this is your favorite campaign setting isn't it are you gonna say planescape i think I am you, waff- say, I am you waffle say back and forth every yeah, time I'm gonna, I'm gonna say planescape if i had said planescape you would have said dark sun <laughs> It's a it's a it's Planescape Ebron Dark Sun. I mean that's the the holy trinity of D and D campaign settings. Yeah, I agree with you. Forgotten what? It's actually kind of the unholy trinity, really. <laughs> the best forgotten realms. Uh, that's yeah. the other one. Right. Yeah. About. <laughs> I wish I could have forgotten realms. <laughs> Do you hear that, Ishan? That's the weeping of Carsus because we've made fun of his campaign setting. Wow, we're pulling that deep in Forgotten Realms lore. It is time to move on to the character creation forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. 
totalpartythrill.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the Forge, we're building a Wasteland Wanderer. That's pretty fitting. Yeah, there seems to be a few of those going around in Dark Sun. Yeah, who would want to wander around in the wastes? I'm very confused. Uh, people who don't have a choice, probably. Ah. Primarily, I would assume. <laughs> in Dark Sun, it's act- there's actually a good chance that this would be an elf. An elf, yeah. yeah. They're basically sort of the, the Roma of the setting. Right, or or like a mall or anyone who has escaped slavery right. mm-hmm. or like a freed gladiator or something like and that. And didn't decide to actually like go back because right. the desert's so awful. Yeah, somebody who decided to go it alone. All right, so what's the build? It is Swashbuckler Rogue 3, Beastmaster Ranger 3, and Open Hand Monk 14. Beastmaster Ranger? Yeah, I went heavy on the Conan... I went heavy on the Beastmaster. <laughs> Dar. <laughs> yeah, that one. Because that was very sandals and sorcery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Rogue and Ranger are basically in there to maximize your ability to survive in a desert. So Ranger will get you your uh, favorite terrain. It will get you favorite enemies, which are going to be super handy in avoiding getting eaten by all the things in a, in a desert wasteland. Uh, it also gives you primeval awareness to help you identify if any dangerous critters are about. And then the Beastmaster is just kind of a nod towards the value of having a companion. You know, even though you wander alone, you're not truly alone. You have a falcon or a hawk or a burrowing mammal or something that stays with you and gives you some utility abilities. Yeah, the real choice was Ranger 2. And then going to Ranger 3, it's, you get one level of like one of these archetypes. Right, yeah. So Colossus Slayer, Hunter, gives you an extra D8 damage per round. Or I decided it would be more fun to have an animal. Basically, uh, one more pair of eyes to keep watch at night. Exactly. <laughs> Preferably eyes that are low light adapted. Yeah. <laughs> Rogue, of course, gives us expertise, which is always good. Take survival and perception. To, you know, obviously survive in the desert and then see threats coming. Also gives you sneak attack. And because of Swashbuckler, you can trigger your sneak attack even when you're alone in combat. So you're not having to put your animal companion at risk trying to trigger your sneak attack. Yeah, not many swashes to buckle, but yeah, (laughs) it works well in the desert. Right. And there's no reason you can't have a little bit of charisma as this character. You've got room for it. So uh, if you decided to, you could benefit from having charisma by adding it to your initiative rolls. Right. Ranger also gives you a very few number of spells. I think three first level spells. You'll know three spells. <laughs> and you can cast them three times a day. But one of those spells is Goodberry, which basically just means you you took care of all your eating needs. Right. For today. And for nine other people. Well, yeah. Not that they matter. No, I don't care about that. Or if you're our GM for Dark Sun Angelo. Those don't exist anymore. (laughs) Yeah. It's a second level spell and you get two berries. (laughs) Stern but fair. Monk also gives you some nice abilities for use in the desert when you're alone. Yeah, I love tranquility. Mm -hmm. It's basically having sanctuary on you, which means creatures that want to attack you have to make a wisdom save to do so. Which just keeps you safe from the vultures, the buzzards, the scorpions, the rattlesnakes in the desert. Right. But so much more than that, I love the idea of you are wandering in a desolate wasteland alone with nothing but your animal companion and yet 
you have tranquility you're <laughs> calm you are steady you are not happy but content i mean if you avoid the rous's it's not so bad out here uh, yeah that's what i hear uh you also get a capstone ability of diamond soul which gives you proficiency in all saves which there's a lot of ways to get hurt in a desert so yeah. it's good to have all your bases covered always good to be prepared uh and we would go open hand monk so you're gonna have all of the you know normal monk goodies which is too many to list but you're a more than competent fighter melee combatant obviously uh, you've got some sneaky ability because you're not necessarily wearing armor you've got your expertise from the rogue and then you've got lots of attacks that you get to make mm-hmm. either with weapons or with your fists which are unbreakable <laughs> <laughs> Hands for weapons, the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, until you break those. (laughs) What are you, a heavyweight boxer? All right. So what is your Wasteland Wanderer and how do they get there? I think my Wasteland Wanderer is an exile. I think it's like a a Judge Dredd type situation for him. Mm. Uh, So probably was a rogue first. That's probably why he got exiled, to be honest. (laughs) Too many swashes buckled and not enough mouths kept shut about his uh, underhanded dealings. I stole a tiny bit of metal. And then as he was uh, exiled into the wasteland, as is the punishment of his village, he attracted an animal companion after he sort of adapted to the environment, right? And, uh, and then sort of came to peace with his new lot in life and found his inner strength. This tiny buzzard is my only friend and the only one that I need. I don't think there are owls. I don't think there are any owls Owls in Dark Sun. No, probably not. Owls are OP anyway. So what's your character idea? I'm going to go with John the Baptist. Again? (laughs) Again? Haven't you done that before? I've not done John the Baptist before. The consummate and maybe original Wasteland Wanderer. uh, Locusts. And by that, I mean probably baby Thrycreen. That's what he'll be eating. Yeah, yeah. Um, honey, uh, are there like big creepy wasps, I think, of some sort? Almost and, certainly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, locusts and honey will work. That'll be fine. Won't wear furs, but they'll wear, he'll wear the, like the skin of a tembo. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Shaggy hair. That's fine. Um, hermit background so that he's got some sort of discovery, right? The coming Messiah who will save, uh, save the land from the sorcerer kings. But then turns out to just be brutally murdered. The Messiah or your character? Uh, or no, no. My, my character is a herald for the Messiah who will be coming. But then that person, probably, I don't know, your character, yeah. <laughs> gets brutally murdered <laughs> oh, by the authorities. Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> but don't worry. A little while later, my character gets his head cut off. Well, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, unrelated separate incidents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So we have a five-star review today, and it is my turn to read. Non-D&D players review of a D&D podcast. Five stars by Scott from Wisconsin. I found Total Party Thrill on Stitcher after getting caught up on Misfits of the Inner Sea back catalog, a Pathfinder live play podcast. I was playing with a bunch of role players, that's R-O-L-L players, and wanted to learn to role play, R-O-L-E, instead. I was looking for inspiration to add to my games, and I found it in spades. Even though most of the time they talk about different systems, mostly D&D, 
TPT has been a great resource for my Pathfinder characters and NPCs. It's not hard to convert their great ideas into a Pathfinder game. If you find your world is getting a bit stale and you are looking for a muse, regardless of the system you are playing, give them a listen. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Misfits of the Inner Sea. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We said we'd never do this, but we're talking about splitting the party. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Beguiler. And in the other Character Creation Forge? We'll just wait until we get back together before we do the Character Creation Forge. Yeah, good idea. Okay. Now that we've settled that, that's it for episode 66 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Salome wants what Salome wants, so. <laughs> What's it? What's that line from Sokinasis? Sometimes life just up and fucks you. <laughs>